Hey, Marissa, are you ready to crush it? Devin, I'm so ready to crush it. I'm so excited. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Devin Handy. Hey there, I'm Marissa Cavis. And we are your hosts for the next 10 weeks on Crush the Midterms, the podcast. So basically what we're trying to do is get behind the scenes of the 2018 midterm candidacies and the campaigns and how you can really get involved. Yeah, we want to make it feel really accessible, um, really informative, and we also want this to be fun. Uh, I know we're possibly facing a little constitutional crisis, but uh, there's actually a lot of stuff that we can do to protect our country, our democracy, uh, our way of life. And so we're just going to walk you through it, and we're not going to assume that you know what we're talking about from the the outset, so we're going to make sure to explain everything and just make you feel really confident in your ability to impact change. Absolutely. So my day job is I run a podcast called Hellbent Podcast, where we talk about public policy and current events with an intersectional feminist lens. And I came to Marissa, who's working with Crush the Midterms, to propose the show so that we can bring our collective skills together and, like Marissa said, make this as accessible and as fun and rewarding as possible. Uh, So like Devin said, I am part of the Crush the Midterms team. I'm one of the project directors, and it's a product of a company called Purpose uh, that does social impact campaigns. I also have a writing and journalism background, so really into the the media aspects of the campaign and and how candidates and campaigns are portrayed. Um, I also uh, definitely since the 2016 election have become a rather active activist. So I spend a lot of time marching and making signs and making calls. And so I'm really trying to bring that experience that I've had the last almost two years into this election cycle. Yeah, I feel like 2016 was a wake-up call for a lot of people, myself included. And I think part of what we're doing here is trying to make non-presidential elections just as important as that 2016 moment. Because while it may not feel like it, the 2018 midterms really are just as important as that moment in 2016. And that's why the Crush the Midterms tool is so important. So Marissa, can you tell us what the Crush the Midterms tool is? I would love to explain Crush the Midterms. Um, So it's a super easy to use tool. Um, It's a website, crushthemidterms.org. And it allows voters to make a personalized plan for volunteering and donating until the election. Um, After answering a few super quick questions about the issues that matter to you, like reproductive justice or environmental rights or gun violence prevention, um, then it asks you what kind of skills you could offer to a campaign. So do you have a car? Are you a people person? Are you bilingual? Do you have legal skills? Um, And then it asks you how much time and money you have to uh, share and donate to campaigns. And it's totally up to you if you have either time or money. Basically, the whole point is that it's not we're not going to make a plan for you that you can't live up to. So it's very much based on the parameters that you set. And so after you answer all the questions, it spits out immediately a personalized plan showing you who to vote for, who to volunteer for, who you should donate to, and then ways to help get your family and friends and other states involved. Yeah, I really love 
first of all, how simple it is, and also how you've kind of grouped actions into buckets, as you as you call them. So there's voting, which is self-explanatory, and then action, which is volunteering and door knocking and writing postcards, and then donating, and then, like you said, leveraging your network, which I think is sort of the secret sauce here that a lot of other tools miss. And it it feels like even if you if you don't have time or money to share, just talking to your network and getting more people involved and active is such a huge part of this. And I think that's really what makes Crush the Midterms so unique. Absolutely. I think the major takeaway from now until the polls close on November 6th is don't shut up. Right. Don't shut up for a minute. I think some people are afraid of being annoying or seeming too intense about politics. My personal opinion right now is that you can't be too intense because, as we've been saying, it's never been more important to get involved. And so whether it's something as simple as posting an interesting article on Facebook, sharing a campaign's video, or just someone you feel comfortable with, if they bring up politics and and they're uh, candidates that you're passionate about, feel free to kind of give the elevator pitch because there's so many people who don't either care to or don't have time to sit and read the news, like some people not naming names, like myself, um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't have time to sit and, and or they're not paid as a job to learn about political candidates. And so um, it's just education, education, education. I can't say it enough. You know, learn yeah. about your candidates and, and don't be afraid to tell other people about it too. I always tell my friends who ask me, because I'm, I'm sort of the designated political friend. Oh, yeah. What can I do? And what, the first thing I always say is, do you know who your representative is? Are they up for election? If you can answer those two questions, you are so far ahead of the game. Totally. And if you can do that, that's the first step. That's all you need to get involved. And I think that it really surprises people that – we're not asking for something that you can't give. We're asking for you to be informed and to give what you can. Totally. I think there's this really overwhelming sense of, well, I, I have to volunteer every weekend. You know, once I get involved, I'm in, I'm in deep. They have my phone number. They can find me. <laughs> <laughs> they know where I live. <laughs> and campaigns are very aggressive. I mean, don't get me wrong. Once they have your email or your phone number, they're going to text you. But you don't have to feel guilty. If you are busy and your regular life is getting in the way, that's totally fine. If you Absolutely. give one weekend from now until November, or one day and from now until November, you are so much further ahead than most people. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so for this episode, we are so excited. We are going to have Mayor Andrew Gillum, who just won the Democratic primary for the Florida gubernatorial race for the midterms. We're going to have so him exciting. on. I know. Oh. We're going to, I know. We're going to have him on later in this episode. But before we jump into that and talk to him about his campaign and, and how, you know, basically what a candidate's perspective on what they need from individuals. I want to talk a little bit about the stakes here and the the realities of the midterms because you know we're we're not all super plugged in, we're not all super, you know, up on on policy and what exactly is going on. So I think we should take a few minutes, Marissa, and talk about what 
something like a Democratic majority in the House would mean. Absolutely. I think that there's also an issue that a lot of people, they, they have this general notion of why it's important to vote in November, and that it has something to do with wrestling power from Trump. But there is actually a clear-cut group of reasons why your vote is so important. Um, so you mentioned the House. Um, should, should we do a quick, quick few stats about the reality of the House right now? Yes, that would be great. All right. So just like super duper 32nd civics lesson. So there are 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, and they're all up for re-election every two years. You probably know that, but just in case. Um, and uh, in order to have a majority of the House, one party has to hold 218 seats. So right now, the Democrats do not have that, but they need that if we want to have a control of the Speaker of the House, if we want to control the various committees that make all the huge decisions in this country. Um, so right now, it's looking pretty good for Democrats. Um, some people like uh, 538, which is, does a lot of statistics, say there's a 72% chance of us taking back the House, but we can't get comfortable and we can't really take too much stock in stats as we, uh, not to trigger any PTSD from 2016, but we right. can't, right. can't put too much stock in them. Um, That's but, true, but there yeah. are some there are some very encouraging signs. For example, yes. for the House specifically, to get a majority, Democrats need to win or need to flip twenty four seats. And right now, just off the bat, there are twenty five districts up for reelection that supported Hillary Clinton in twenty sixteen. So that's twenty five districts with a Republican incumbent that we could potentially win. So yes, we can't rely too heavily on statistics, but I do want to make it clear that this is a winnable fight. And something like even having a slim majority in the House would create all sorts of opportunities for Democrats to conduct serious oversight of this presidency and and what's going on. And in fact, Axios had this had this scoop and I love 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 the headline. It is Republican secrets secretly study their coming hell. Basically, <laughs> Republicans made a spreadsheet of all of the things that they haven't been doing in an oversight role that Democrats are likely going to take on as soon as they get control of the house. And it is it's that it it's sometimes it's that simple. With even just a slim majority, we can start doing some of the work that's been put off for the last 18, 20 months. Yeah, I mean, it's, this list is unbelievable. If, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend checking it out on Axios. Um, just to name a few of the amazing things that it could uh, begin to probe if, if given the majority, President Trump's tax returns, James Comey's, James Comey's firing, um, Trump's firing of a bunch of U.S. attorneys, the travel ban, family separation, um, the disastrous hurricane response in Puerto Rico. I mean, the sky is the limit. And it just, it lays bare how much corruption has been going on in plain sight in the last two years and how little has been done to rein it in and why we need to wrestle back the power so, so badly. Exactly. So, and again, what I think the beauty of something like the Crush the Midterms tool is, is that it really creates a guideline, a plan, something that you can refer to if you're feeling overwhelmed and something that you can share with other people. And I think that that is going to be key as we talked about sharing with your network, but having 
concrete steps, concrete calls to action is a really good way to start because a lot of this is fairly abstract. We need to win 24 seats. 25 of them went for Clinton. What does that really mean? And and I think moving forward, as we as we look at these lists that Republicans themselves have made of things that we can get done with the majority, with flipping these seats, it just brings us all closer to the the common goal, which is not even necessarily about partisanship or one party in power, but it's about civic responsibility. And it's about creating a government that works for everyone. And I think it's also about remembering that there's so many things beyond your control and there are different dynamics playing out in other states and and even other parts of your own state but you have control over your corner of the world. You can go out there and knock doors and you can make phone calls within your your state or out of state, but there are little ways that you can make your mark and you don't have to be the savior of the 2018 election. But if you are focusing on a few key races, kind of almost adopting them as your own, putting a vested interest in those outcomes, you know, if everyone does that across all races, if we have people in, in the corners of every race, imagine how impactful that could be. And going back to your plan and saying, okay, I've done this piece. How about I move on to this other piece? You know, just seeing what feels right at the right time over the next 10 weeks. But, um, you know, it's, it's totally within your grasp. And it's, and like Devin, you said, it's easy to get overwhelmed, but um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you take a step back. And then when you're ready, you step back in. Exactly. I, that's the beauty of forming these communities. And that's the beauty of, and that's really what we want to do here is, is be part of that support network. If you're feeling overwhelmed, tweet at us. We'll give you some encouragement. It, it's kind of my specialty. I love telling people on Twitter that they're doing a great job and, and that we're all in this together because ultimately we are. This is about creating solutions to, to, problems that our society has as a whole. You are an individual living in a group collective and we're working towards a collective. And the way that we do that is by taking on these tasks. So over the next 10 weeks, we are going to be here with you every step of the way, giving you tips, talking to candidates, talking to experts, and, and hopefully creating this community so that we, and hopefully creating this community so that we are all we all feel like we're in this together. And it's it's really cool because we're gonna have this pod community and then we're gonna tell you about creating communities um, in the real world, out there, in your in your town, in your city, in your state. It's gonna be really cool when we talk to Mayor Gillum a little later on, because community was so key to the winning of his campaign. He was a long shot. He wasn't even in the top two candidates in a lot of polling as it got close to the primary. And then primary day came and boom, he he was the winner. It wasn't even a recount situation. He was the clear winner. And it was because he formed such a strong group of community activists, people who are on the ground from day one, just knocking on doors, talking to neighbors. And then once those neighbors got on board, they brought on more neighbors and it just kept growing and growing and growing. So it's it's a seed, right? And then you just kind of watch it grow. And it's a really incredible thing to see when it translates into uh, winning the candidacy for, or the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the nomination from a major party for governor in, in a really big state in America. Yeah. So... I cannot wait to get started. 
So today we have a very special first guest, like really special. We have me, Andrew Gillum mayor of Tallahassee, and candidate for governor in Florida. He just won his primary last week, the Democratic primary. It was a huge upset, and he is just the absolute coolest, and we're so excited to have him here. It's It's an amazing first guest, Marissa. We're kind of killing it. I think we're, I, I would say we're crushing it. <laughs> oh, wait, are we crushing it? Yeah, 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 we're crushing it. Definitely, definitely crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Gillum, I think the first thing we want to ask you is going into primary day, you were sort of seen as the underdog in a lot of ways. So what was it about you and your campaign that ultimately pushed you over the line? Like you really made that case to voters. And and how did you do that? Yeah, well, first, I have to say I was the underdog all the way through. (laughs) Just before that, no one thought we had a chance of, of, of pulling this thing off. And, you know, I always had confidence that um, of the five of us in this race, that my life experience um, growing up in and uh, Florida, coming from Miami, my mother who drove a school bus and my dad who worked construction, I always had a sense that our story, our experience really would resonate with our voters, that, you know, we had all been so sick of, frankly, this idea of millionaires and billionaires being the only ones that can run and serve people. And, and, and when these folks win, oftentimes regular folks are still struggling. And so I, I leaned all the way into what my, my own personal and lived experiences were and, and frankly asked voters to give me a chance um, to be their representative voice. And, and I leveled with them that, that, that there was no way that I could accomplish all that we want for ourselves and for our state by myself, that, that the only way we could, we, could, we could pull off not only a win, but pull off the kind of, 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 of public policy solutions that all of us believe need to take shape in order for regular, everyday working people to have a seat at the table, the only way we could do that is with them there with me, side by side, you know, mm-hmm. pulling in the same direction. And so, and I mean that. That's not just rhetoric for me. I, I, you know, I think one of the failures of, 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 of our last administration was that too many of us just said, you know, go forth, Barack Obama, and do great things. And we kind of, you know, sat back and watched as the Republicans obstructed the whole way through a little bit, you know, helpless to, to do anything about it. And that's not what we want. I believe we will win. Um, and I felt that way all the way along. Um, but, 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 but honestly, the voters had to confirm it. And last week, almost to the day, uh, they chose me as their nominee, and I could not be more honored. Um, and now what I got to make sure I do is to stay true and to stay consistent and to not lose myself. Um, even though I now carry the mantle of the party, um, but but to make sure that we're keeping everyday people the focus of this campaign. You know, a cornerstone of your campaign was not taking corporate money, and you know, you were definitely outspent by your opponents. And you know, we're curious: did you feel like you were at a, a deficit in any way because of that? And how do you think you were able to, you know, make it work even if you were outspent? Yeah, I mean, listen, my opponents uh, collectively spent $90 million to our six. There was no doubt that we were outfunded, but I, I don't think we were ever outworked on this trail. I went everywhere. I talked to everybody. Uh, I went to red areas, blue areas, purple areas of the state, and, and we built a really powerful grassroots you know, campaign. Um, ultimately, all the big spenders, frankly, came behind those who spent less. Um, and I spent the least amount, 
Um, um, but the, the, the wealthiest in this race came fourth out of fifth. Um, and second wealthiest to him came third out of fifth. And again, this is no indictment on those individuals, but simply to say that so many of us get clouded into thinking that the only way we can win is with money. Um, and, and, and the truth is you do need some money, right? I, I could not have done this without my ability to communicate. We had a serious, you know, sort of, um, 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 uh, effort uh, at digital organizing. Um, we put a lot of money in digital advertising. We did not match that, you know, necessarily, you know, we, we, uh, uh, the, the money that went on television was not significant by contrast to my opponents, but we really went hard on digital and we tried to speak to the communities um, that we felt would be most, most likely to vote for me if they knew that I was a choice on the ballot. I have to tell you, we also did some pretty uncharacteristic things in a race like this. We bought billboards, right? Nobody would ever advocate in a statewide race buying billboards. <laughs> but we bought billboards, you know, it felt like, like, what are you running for, city council or, or governor? I'm like, look, I'm trying to reach voters. And, you know, I couldn't reach them on television because I couldn't afford it. But if they drove by my billboards every day and it had my name and it said governor and it had my picture, maybe we'd have some success. And I think some of those uncharacteristic traits actually ended up working. Yeah, I mean, not, not everyone has cable these days, but ever a lot of people have cars. Uh, most people are driving. Right. So, <laughs> right. um, so I know that a huge piece of your your efforts to to this point and moving forward are your army of volunteers. You have tons and thousands of Floridians who are dedicated to your campaign, and I know that's super inspirational to people in other places. And so, um, you know, from your experience so far, what are the most important ways that volunteers can help support your campaign or, or any campaign? Yeah, you know what I have to tell you? Volunteers were the strength of our campaign. I mean, we would not have pulled this thing off were it not for our unpaid volunteers in the field. And just to give you an example, I mean, I would go places and they'd say, um, um, can we get yard signs? We need more yard signs. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we just don't have the budget right now to, you know, to make that investment. And I'd go back a week later and they will have already bought signs on their own they will have begun you know putting them up and putting them out and it was so it was so inspiring to me to just see how decentralized this is you know that the, these kinds of decisions were that people felt so bought in that even if the campaign itself could not supply merchandise they made their own i went and people would have screen printed t-shirts where they would have taken a picture they would have taken our leaflet and we'll have screen printed the leaflet on a T-shirt because we didn't have campaign shirts for them, right? I mean, it was it was it was it was so critical. And I guess if I had advice, it would be to, to you know for volunteers to really, if you believe in something, take ownership. If you believe in a candidate in a campaign, take ownership. And maybe you know maybe the campaign doesn't have um, the resources to do you know everything they want to do. But maybe together, a group of people, a group of friends might be able to put a couple of dollars together, and maybe their in-kind contribution is outfitting everybody in their area with T-shirts. We weren't able to have offices in all the places we would have wished to have, have had offices. But people opened up their living rooms, and they invited in their neighbors. And they said, you know, tonight we're going, you know, we'll do a text-a-thon. And we hosted house parties all around the state where if I couldn't physically be there, you know, they set it up on Apple TV or whatever they had for me to, you know, um, you know, shoot into the living room and talk and answer questions. It really was very, um, for us, 
um, family-oriented, neighborhood-oriented, community-oriented. And if you're doing that in all places around the state, you can quickly understand how it is that you can build a powerful enough volunteer organizing movement that allows you to, to, to win races that looked as improbable as mine did. Uh, but it would not have been possible were it not for the amazing efforts of our volunteers. Right. I love that. It's, it's, a, it's such a, a different way for volunteers to get involved. It's not just donating money or door knocking, but it's, it's really thinking creatively. And I think that's that's, that's that's right. So wonderful, and 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 on that creative side, I should just mention. I, I got to mention just the the texting that took place because the laws don't allow you to mass text. Every time we sent a text message out, or we hustled, you know, um, um, our 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 voters, it was a volunteer on the other end, and so you were having real conversation with another human being. And because they had come to support my candidacy um, so authentically. They felt so equipped to talk about my message, to talk about where we stood, to answer questions from voters about, you know, their hesitations about me. And if somebody said, you know what, I've got another candidate, because they did this with such, you know, such um, um, depth of spirit that they were able to say, that's okay. If Andrew makes it through the primary, I hope you'll support him. Right. And I have people tell me that because of a hustle conversation they had with one of my volunteers, that they changed their opinion about me and decided to vote for me and voted their heart. Um, I just wanted, I, 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 I wanted to throw that example in because um, a lot of people don't have a full appreciation for that two-way communication uh, and what that can do by way of persuading voters. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's all about people power. We've been hearing that phrase so much during this election season, and it seems like your campaign really proved that. Well, actually, on that, I, I want to actually just tell you something, because I saw I saw you in a church and you told a woman with a, a child not to leave, even though the child was being a little disruptive. And I just have to say huh? right now, my four year old son is sitting in my office with me eating yogurt while I'm oh. doing this interview. Oh. And it just feels, you know, hearing you talk about it and hearing, you know, remembering that video feels like we uh, have really gotten like I, I can feel that in your campaign. I just wanted to say that. Well, I'll tell you, it, it is built out of the fact that my wife and I, who are both working professionals, have three children, a set of twins who are four year olds and a one year old who's 15 months. And we have had to ask for grace. Right. In our workplaces, we've had to ask for grace on airplanes. We've had to ask for grace inside <laughs> of restaurants, inside of churches that I mean, I, I, I know very well and intimately the horror that a parent feels because I felt it myself when my kids talking at a time where we shouldn't be talking or wants right. to scream at me. You know, because I took the, you know, the, the whatever the cell phone right. was because they were texting, right? <laughs> you know, the wrong <laughs> You know, so th th my wife and I go through that, and, 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 and we've had to make life decisions about going certain places because of our fear about our kids maybe disrupting. And so that anxiety, when I saw that woman about to get up and leave the church, yeah. I just immediately, I mean, just without thinking, was like, please, ma'am. And I didn't want to embarrass her, but please don't leave unless you have to, right. because he's not bothering me at all. Like, <laughs> that, you know, I'm fine. On public policy, I mean, as mayor, I started a family first initiative right. where we asked businesses to take our surveys and allow us to rank them based on how family friendly they were. Do they have, you know, family, family policies where you let their, 
you know, their employees go and check in on their kids at school without being docked or that they're a sensitive enough workplace where when their kid is sick, that they give their employees grace? Or do you co-locate child care, you know, for, for, for babies? Um, you know, um, do you have nursing, you know, facilities and stations and quiet rooms? And I'll tell you, I, you know, that I would not have known that had I not had the experience of what it meant to be a parent and to be a working parent. And just so we close the loop on this, that informs my public policy. Right. And that's what I want voters to know that as I compete for governor, that those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of experiences that are going to be so, so present with me as we govern. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think um, I, I'm told we have to wrap up. Uh, so just one last question for you, Mayor Gillum. Um, I know your, your big phrase is bring it home. So tell yeah. us, how, how do you plan to bring it home? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you, we are, first of all, I just say that phrase comes from my grandmother who used to tell me, you know, bring it home, baby, bring it home. It was, you know, it was, you know, uh, I was a fifth of seven kids and the first to graduate from high school. And my grandmother's advice was go to school, boy, get your lesson, mind your teachers and bring it home. And, and, and in saying that, she was communicating to me that I had a responsibility not just to myself, but to my siblings and to the community and that it was not ever just about me, that it was about us. And so I have, you know, adopted that as our frame of this race because it isn't just about me. When I talk about bringing it home, it ain't to my house. It's to all of our homes. It's, you know, it's about yep. making sure parents are able to work one job instead of multiple jobs. It's about access to health care, you know, and, and, and families not having to fear for bankruptcy because they may get sick. Um, it's about our environment. It's about so much more than, than, than any one individual it is about the collective. And so how we are legitimately going to bring home this win is that we're going to talk to voters. We like to refer to them as opportunity voters. They may not be your super voter. They may have not voted in the last two or three elections. They may not have ever voted in an election. But we're going to talk to them because I believe we've got to give our voters a reason to turn out and vote for something and not just against. And so in spite of the distractions that my opponents have, in spite of some of the race baiting that we've seen happening already in this race, and it's still early, so imagine that there's much more to come. I want people to stay focused on the fact that this is, election is about them. It ain't about me. It ain't about the names that I'm being called. It's about the kind of state that we're trying to build for ourselves and for our future. And we need a governor who is 100% intent on changing outcomes in such a way that regular, everyday folks have a voice again in our society. And so we're going to bring it home by talking to voters and turning those voters out. Yes. Great. Well, bring, bring it home for Crush the Midterms. We're rooting for you. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Crush the Midterms is exactly what we're going to do, y'all. Let's win. Go crush it. <laughs> All, right, All right. Good talking to you. Thank you so much. Of course. Of course, okay. y'all. And thank you for the opportunity. Look forward to being in touch in these coming weeks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So it was so amazing to speak to Mayor Gillum, Marissa. I can't believe that we we got him to come on the show and really sit down with us and talk about this this community building. So, so cool. I mean, he's, he's going to be in the next governor of Florida. And we're going to say we talked to him before he became the next governor of Florida. Well, before he became governor of Florida. That was so cool. I I couldn't be more excited about the ideas that he's putting out to the world. He's just this new, fresh kind of politician. Um, I feel like everyone tries to be like, so-and-so is the next Obama. So-and-so is the next, 
you know, Clinton, but it's, you know, he's so much his own person, his own brand of politician. And it was oh, so cool to talk to him. It was. So every week we want to give you a concrete call to action. So something that you can do after you listen to the show that, that will put you on path to crushing these 2018 midterms. Marissa, what is this week's call to action? So this week's call to action, it's super duper simple. Make your plan to crush the midterms. And, and I promise this isn't like spawn con for crush the midterms. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you moving forward, there's going to be all different kinds of call to action. But to kick us off this first time, it'd be so cool for you to go to crushthemidterms.org and fill out your plan. And then once you're done filling out your plan, please, please, please share it on your social networks because it's this awesome chain reaction. It's like, vote it forward. Your friends see that you've made this awesome plan to get involved and they're going to say, hey, why am I not doing the same thing? And then they're going to, I guarantee it. So go to crushthemidterms.org and you should totally tweet at us when you do so we can tell you that you're amazing. Well, when I shared my plan on my, my personal social media networks, the response I got was amazing because people were like, this is great. This is what I needed. And and sometimes you can be that seed of what people need. So we also want to hear from you. We want to hear how you are personally crushing these midterms, whether you're getting out in your community, whether you've made your plan. We, we want to build this community. So share your story with us. You can email us at crushthemidterms at hellbentmedia.com or Use hashtag crush the midterms on Twitter and Instagram to to share your story with us. Totally. And also uh, you can tweet at our handles. We are big Twitter people, especially me. Too much so, but I will be checking <laughs> it. Um, so you can either tweet at crush 18 midterms or at Hellbent Pod, uh, both of those. And then um, you can also tweet at the two of us. We love talking to new people. We clearly love to talk. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I am so excited to get on this journey with you all. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. All right, let's crush it. Let's crush it.